Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, you might have woke up this morning and thought, oh, it's Tuesday. It's an average, ordinary Tuesday. I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to do my thing, and it's just going to be a normal, average, ordinary Tuesday. I'm going to mess with you a little bit on that whole idea. Today matters. Listen to this. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Does that make you think about today a little bit differently? That God has got plans ordained for you today on this, what day is it? October 4, 2022. My dad's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Dave. Yep. 84 awesome. years young. That's awesome. Going strong. What's he going to do? Do you know if he's got celebration plans today? Well, he and I are going to celebrate tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because we get together on Wednesdays, but got to at least send him a note today. For sure. Happy birthday, Dave. Yeah, today matters for you. God has plans for you that he put in place long before you were ever born. Now, if Psalm 139.16 doesn't sell it for you, I got another one. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm just so encouraged by this scripture because I feel like God has just like teed you up for success today. There are people you're going to encounter, conversations that you're going to have, decisions that you're going to make. And God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are rooting for you today, cheering you on. They've got your back Just read, if you don't believe me, read Romans 8, the whole chapter, and you'll just walk away feeling like there isn't anything that you can't do today. Right. And because he's prepared those good works in advance for us, you know, we're going to just bump into him as we take the next step. We got to take that next step. But speaking of my dad, you know, he grew up generations of LaHaye's in Sheboygan. Uh, LaHaye's came from Ireland, you know, long journey anyway and made it to Sheboygan in the 1800s. So generations of Sheboygan, LaHaye's in Sheboygan, you know, farmers, dairy farmers. There was the LaHaye Dairy Company. And at any rate, my dad grew up, you know, looking back at generations who lived in Sheboygan. And so one of our first houses, he was looking out the back window of our house on Loomis Street in Sheboygan, and he could see the home where he grew up. And he, he was in his young 20s and he thought, man, is this all there is? Hmm. I'm just going to be another LaHaye who grows up in Sheboygan. <laughs> and that was, you know, that's not a bad thing, but I see you laughing over there, Ben. And it is kind of funny. But at any rate, you know, then he, he had an experience of the love of Christ. And my mom and dad came alive to the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he ended up, you know, going to Haiti. Wow. You know, like four different times and up in the mountains with a church planner and and just assisting him. And God did have a whole lot more than just being a, another LaHaye from a long line of LaHaye's who grew up in Sheboygan. You know, that's my tribe. Those are my people, mm-hmm. but and no shade there. But God has great plans for us when we give ourselves to the Lord Not because we're so gifted and talented and great, but because he's so great. Yeah. And he might, he might just call you to go to the other side of, you know, this planet. He might not, you know, he might call you to financially support somebody who's doing just that or be praying for the work that's being done on the other side of the planet. But I tell you what, I do know 
that God has good plans for you and they're not like someday plans. I think we often put off, I'm sure God has good things for me someday. God has good plans for you today. Step into today encouraged, excited, with your eyes on him, looking for what he's got for you. And join him in the work that he has for you today. Good plans on today. That's right. On today, son. Well, Shauna's got a little something, something for you. I'll tell you what. And we just, you know, shoot straight here. We just keep it honest. And I am no stranger to fear. I don't know that I'm more fearful than most people. I just know that fear has definitely been a part of my life, my entire life. My biggest fear, we're just going for it. (laughs) Go big or go home, right? My biggest fear in life has been that I would lose my husband and my children and I would be completely alone. Hmm. And a few years ago, circumstances were such that this fear had me completely paralyzed and I was unable to do the right thing, to do what I needed to do for fear that I would lose everything that mattered most to me. And I did, yeah, it was really big. And a friend, a good friend came right out and asked me, what are you so afraid of? Because this friend could see that I was not doing what I needed to do. And it was super clear (laughs) to them, not to me, but to them. And so they came right out and asked, what are you so afraid of? And honestly, even forming the answer to that question and speaking it out loud terrified me as if like once I said it, it might become true. How many years ago was this? Five years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's pretty recent. It's not that long ago, but I expected my friend, you know, once I said, this is what I'm terribly afraid of, I expected, <laughs> you know, to hear well, that won't happen. You'll be fine. You know, some, some kind of assurance, like that's what a good friend would do, right? You know, mm-hmm. just make me feel better and let me know that that would never happen. Of course that would never happen. But instead my friend lovingly said that could happen. And I thought I was going to throw up literally in that moment. I was face to face with my greatest fear. And then my friend asked me the most important question, more important than the first one. Then what? Have you ever, you know, have you ever had to articulate your worst fear? More importantly, have you ever had to answer the question, then what? I love what your friend did, though, because good friends tell us the truth. They do it in love, but you'll get an answer that you don't expect from a good friend. Mm -hmm. Because they'll tell you what you need to hear. And I didn't like it at the time, you know, to be honest. Like I said, it made me upset to my stomach, and I thought... Because instead of just making me feel better and telling me that that would never happen, I had to look at it, at the possibility of that. And the then what question was just like a punch to the gut. But that's the point of a good friend. Yeah. You don't like it, the answer. You don't like the answer that you need to hear in the moment. Yeah. But it was good. Exactly. It was very good. And so when I did answer the the then what question, this piece began to make its way into my life. Not a superficial circumstantial piece, but like a deep assurance that I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that, which I've committed unto him against that day, which is a song. If you don't know the song, but it's actually scripture. It's second Timothy one 12. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him 
until that day. That verse meant a lot to me and still means a lot to me when I faced my greatest fear, which which was that I had been cut off from God. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked about that before and I can share that story again another time, but that passage mm-hmm. is just such a grounding passage. And the Passion Translation says, the confidence of my calling enables me to overcome every difficulty without shame, for I have an intimate revelation of this God and my faith in him convinces me that he is more than able to keep all that I've placed in his hands safe and secure until the fullness of his appearing. And that doesn't mean that, you know, every person and every circumstance in my life is going to go the way that I want it to go. But I do know that I am never, ever, 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 ever going to be alone. And greater still that the purpose of my life, you know, which God put in place, which is to point people to Jesus will be accomplished. I can trust God to that end. And look at how much God has done in the last five years, Shauna Lee Byer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you face your fears, there's a freedom. It's a beautiful thing. And I didn't enjoy facing my fears, but the silver lining that came of that time is this deep assurance that no matter what, I'm going to be okay. And it's so, so freeing. And I want to be the friend to you that my good friend was to me. All right. So you might not like me for it, but here goes. What are you so afraid of? Face your fears today. And once you have, answer the question, what then? And let God tell you what's true, what's eternal, what is eternally true. (laughs) Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. No matter what happens, God's got you. Check this out. Worship, worship is our 24-7, 365 life with God that brings the life of God to our world. Worship is not a genre of music or something we do on Sunday morning when we sing. It's again, check this out. It's our 24-7, 365 life with God that brings the life of God to our world. Here's what I'm getting at. This is Darren Mulligan front man for the band We Are Messengers. I would consider what We Are Messengers do is worship music. And part of the reason I consider it that is we're a rock and roll band. We're, we're pretty varied in terms of our sound and style. stylistically we're very varied. But I view it as that because of the fruit that we see coming from what we do. You know, sometimes we say worship music is just a, like it's a worship event where everyone's singing vertical songs to God, about God. We tend to write a lot of songs about the people of God living lives that are maybe wrestling with doubt or anxiety or mental health issues and about how God meets us there. And in turn, those people find hope, they find meaning, they find purpose, and the fruit of it is that a whole generation of people are turned towards loving God. And so part of my worship is evangelizing and inspiring people who have maybe drifted from Him to turn to Him And so yes, worship can be a sound, it can be a lyric, it can be a movement, but for me, the fruit is proof of what the music is actually doing. Is it worshiping God or is it worshiping ourselves? If it's worshiping ourselves, the fruit is I get a bigger platform, more money, sell more records, and God is ignored. If it's worshiping God, we see prostitutes come to him. We see people turning away from their adultery, their pornography and their sin. We see the church inspired to support young women in crisis pregnancies with their time, their energies, and their money. So yeah, I think we do worship an injustice when we 
categorize it as a particular sound or style. It's much bigger than all of that. That's Darren Mulligan of We Are Messengers. What I hear Darren saying is that worship is all of life. It's loving God and loving people. And when we do that, not perfectly, but when we do that, it brings the life of God to our world and sets people free to love God and love people. With We Are Messengers, for example, it's bringing the life of God to people who hear their music. Mm -hmm. With me and you, worship is bringing the life of God to people with the gifts and talents and the one life that God has given us. Anything we do that causes God to be praised is worship. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love Darren's definition of worship being in the fruit. So the fruit of worship is, you know, is is what's being done, whatever it is, does it highlight you or does it highlight God? Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah, and so whatever we do, if it causes someone else to praise God, that is worship. So yeah. so the fruit, if the fruit is someone's life being flourished, someone's life being empowered, then it's worship. If it's not, then we've probably just been worshiping ourselves. Does that make sense? It does. It makes sense. And it's, it's a great definition of worship and how to live our lives in a way that other people are seeing Jesus and the choices that we're making and the words that we're using and and just even our demeanor, you know, our peace, our settledness, they're saying they're seeing Jesus in us and that's worship. Yeah. So here it is. Worship is our 24-7, 365 ordinary life with God that brings the life of God to our world. Worship is all of life. Worship is surrendering anyone or anything that we love more than God to God because we have been created to worship him. And worshiping anything or anyone else but him is a ripoff. And this worship way of life flows from knowing that no one can or even will be able to love us more than Jesus. Taya is a singer, songwriter, worship leader, probably best known for her song Oceans, and she just released her first album this year, self-titled Taya. I define worship by going to the Bible. The first time worship is mentioned in the Bible is when Abraham in the Old Testament is taking his son Isaac up the mountain to worship the Lord. That's what he tells uh, his servant to wait here. I think it's beautiful because it's also God foreshadowing what he is going to do with his own son, even though Abraham never had to go through through with it. You know, Jesus had the cross on his back as he was traveling up to Golgotha. Isaac had wood on his back, traveling up the mountain, unbeknownst to him, to be sacrificed by Abraham because that's what God asked of him. And the first time it's mentioned that it's said is that Abraham turned to the servant who was traveling with them and said, I want you to wait here for Isaac and I going up to worship. And I love that because, and I'm also challenged by that, because there was no church service, there was no 20 minutes at the top and five minutes at the end. There was no song, there was no melody. What worship was in that moment was obedience to the voice of the Lord and sacrifice. So to me, that's what worship is. And another verse that kind of helps then go, okay, well, how do I outwork what this worship is? Uh, Romans 12, verse one, and a few of those verses, particularly in the message, paraphrase is my favorite. And it says, um, in view of God's mercy, I love that everything is 
a response to God because he loved us first. But it says in view of God's mercy, uh, bring your everyday, your eating, your sleeping, your walking around life and place it before God as an offering, holy and pleasing to him. That is our true and proper worship. And I love that it's obedience to what God's calling us to do in all areas of our life, bringing a sacrifice, bringing a sacrifice of praise, whatever that looks like. And it has to be worked out in every area of our life. And again, like never losing that view of God, never losing that view of what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. Worship leader Taya, and that's a worship leader soundbite from Worship Leader Magazine. Worship is surrendering our precious. If you watched or read Lord of the Rings, you know that Gollum had his precious. He loved his precious ring. That was everything to him. Worship is surrendering our precious to God because he's more precious. How could Abraham take his precious beloved son and be willing to give him up for God? Because Abraham knew that God's love was better than life. I think that's it. The only way I can surrender the idols of my life, those things that I elevate to the place of God, the only thing that, that helps me let that go is realizing that God's love is perfect. God's love is best. God's love is better than life itself. And that helps me loosen my grip on those mm -hmm. things that I elevate as God in my life. You think? Can you think of a specific thing that you've had to... That had that you found like has snuck its way into elevating into that place, and you're like, oh man, it needs to be surrendered again. Can you? <laughs> at the moment, I'm trying to come up with an example. And I have I'm one. Just not, okay, good. I just like to throw it back at you. Thank you. Appreciate right, that. Keep so, it real. Anyway, well, I've told this story before, and but maybe you haven't heard it. But when I was in college ministry, I was working with this guy, Speedy, and. Speedy. You make up the names. I'm telling you, you make them nope. up. Nope. Speedy's a real guy. All right. He actually came to the studio and sat in that chair over there. We reconnected after all the years. But anyway, I was just, you know, Speedy grew up in a in the church, but he just had a lot of a lot of anger mm -hmm. towards God. I think because of his dad. You know, I can't remember the whole story, but so I just, you know, trying to communicate that God is love, God is grace, and he he'd always push back on me and and he loved my guitar. I had this beautiful ovation guitar and God said, give it away, give it to him. And that guitar represented more than a guitar. It was like all the dreams that I had mm -hmm. about yeah. music, about using my music for God. Right. But I didn't want to give it up, but I did finally surrender it. God, you know, wrestled it out of my hands yeah. and I gave it to him and, and, you know, that was that was hard, but it was also, I remember being on my knees just saying, God, I surrender it to you. And in that moment, I just felt, I felt so close to the Lord, but I, I felt, this is, try to put it into words, like the kingship of Jesus, like mm -hmm. how, how he's worthy of everything. I felt that awesome presence of God as I surrendered it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's incredible. If you've had a moment like this where you've you've just clearly, you know, you've realized that something is taking the place of worship in your life that belongs to God and God alone. Hey, 
Hey, you know how you get these messages and sometimes messages can get garbled, you know, between the person who is sending the message and, and the one receiving it, they can get mixed up. We actually had a, a really, you know, potentially dangerous one. It was all handled well, but I do voice to text a lot in my phone. Yeah. And so I was doing the voice to text, sending a message to my husband, wanting him to know that my son and I were going to run errands. And my son's name is Drayson. But somehow my husband got a text that said, I'm leaving you for Jason. <laughs> and he was like, what? what? <laughs> no, I'm leaving now with Drayson is what I wanted to say. When voice text goes wrong. Yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't come across the way you had intended it. But my friend takes, uh, my friend Kim had texted the station and her text arrived, but it wasn't even mixed up like my text and my husband was. This was like a, I don't even know, this long garbled code of some kind. There were numbers and oh, yeah. letters and yeah. symbols. I've gotten that. And we had no idea what she wanted us to know. So Perry had texted her back and explained, you know, it was not decodable and asked her to resend it. So she did, but it came back the same way, like numbers, letters, symbols. And so I used my personal phone because she's a friend of mine to text her and explained, you know, that we could not decipher the message at all. So she screenshotted what she had typed out and sent that to us. And it made a ton of sense. It was a very clear message, very simple in English, <laughs> easy to understand. Yeah. That maybe you feel that way sometimes when you read scripture. You know, you hear other people read it and they explain it. You hear your pastor talk about a passage or whatever, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But when you sit down by yourself to read scripture, it can feel at times like it's difficult to decode and you don't have the key. But after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to lots of people over many days. And one of those times, Jesus' disciples were actually talking about how he'd appeared to them at different times, individually or two, three at a time, when Jesus all of a sudden was standing there with them. And the Bible says, this is Luke 24, 45, you can check it out. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah, yeah. What he did was show that the Hebrew scriptures all pointed to him. And he started in Genesis. That, that would have been an amazing conversation. I know, right? To be there and just go through all the Hebrew scriptures and show how it's all pieced together and that he's the center of it. And, and that's, he gave him the key, the interpretive key. Right. Yeah. To decode the scriptures. I've had people, you know, say when they find out what I do, you know, oh my goodness, that'd be so cool to be able to talk to the authors of these books and ask them questions, you know, and kind of probe in and, and ask for understanding about this, that, or the other. And, you know, we all have the privilege of when we read scriptures of having a conversation with the author, you know, we're, we're with God as we're reading the Bible. And so you can, you can be inquisitive as you're reading through it and say, wow, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, or that is really disturbing to me. You know, there's some stories that will kind of make the hair stand up on the back of your yeah. neck, you know, in, in scripture. And so to be able to have a conversation with God as you're reading through the scriptures and ask for understanding. And the answer comes through the Holy Spirit bringing thoughts to your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not hocus pocus. You know, you ask God a question that normally he's going to just kind of give you a prompt in your in your mind about, you know, how this makes sense or what other scripture to look for, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's helpful to understand that he wants us to understand scripture. You know, Jesus like saying, okay, this is to his disciples. Okay, this is the 
this is the code or this is the story, you know. God wants us to understand scripture. We met a gentleman, his name is Mike Breen, and he reads, he leads this um, ministry called 3DM, but he was dyslexic, struggled with dyslexia his entire life. And words just got jumbled up for him when he tried to read anything. And it was just this real struggle for him. He was never able to read a book from cover to cover. Never. It was just too much work. But he really wanted to understand scripture. And so he prayed and he asked God to open up his mind to allow him to understand what he was reading. And God did. In a moment, God miraculously healed him of his dyslexia and began to tutor him in understanding scripture. And now he's like the author of several books. That's awesome. Leading this discipleship movement. You know, it's a prayer that that I often pray when I do come to the scriptures because I love this passage. Lord, open my mind Mm -hmm. to understand the scriptures because it's not like you understand it all once, you know, and you ask once and you get the answer. There's just... God's word is a bottomless ocean yeah. and we just got to keep mining, keep asking him to help us understand it. And there's an understanding that comes initially when you read through a passage, but there's also understanding that comes like as you're ongoing, pursuing, understanding scripture, there's greater and greater understanding that comes. I don't know. You just get familiar, I guess, maybe with learning kind of like learning a new language. The You know, there's always new things to discover in the Word of God. So you're always learning new things, yeah, but they're adding to what you already know. It's building blocks. There you go. Yeah. Nice just, illustration yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. Words. I'm here for you. Well done, With Pear a Dog. simple illustration. <laughs> maybe you have struggled to read the Bible. You know, maybe you, you don't find yourself regularly spending time in the Word because you just feel like, man, I don't understand it. I read God's Word and I'm just struggling to understand it. Ask God today to supernaturally unlock your understanding, to receive the revelation of the scriptures. And then in faith, believing that he's going to do that for you, start reading. He rose from the dead. He can open our minds to understand his word. Maybe everything I believe about Jesus isn't true. Has it ever crossed your mind? It has mine. As a follower of Jesus, I find a sureness about my faith in God's word. There's power in God's word. It rings true. And the Bible claims to be God's word, so there is that. But I believe we need more than just our experience with God's word when those doubts come. We need to know that the Bible is telling us real events of history. As Paul said, if Christ really didn't rise from the dead in history, then our faith is just a myth. It's meaningless. So our experience is important, even vital, but we also need to know that our faith is rooted in the events of history. And if I need that, how much more people who don't follow Jesus, like skeptics, cynics, atheists, agnostics, saying to my agnostic coworker, which I don't have, or neighbor, which I might have, you should believe in Jesus because the Bible says he's the way to God, doesn't work. The Bible is just another book to them. So we need a way forward. Andy Bannister is a Brit who speaks and teaches throughout the UK, Europe, Canada, US. He has a PhD in Islamic studies, and he's written several books, including The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. Andy, how do we engage? How do we engage with people in a winsome way, who don't believe that the Bible is God's word. A couple of things. 
firstly, sometimes be willing as a Christian to take the back foot. Don't feel you've got to necessarily leap straight in with, hey, you should believe the Bible. Because for somebody who doesn't even believe in God, for example, that's a huge commitment. So find other ways to talk about God, other ways to talk about your Christian faith that intrigue people, and then find the time to move into Scripture. Quote Scripture without saying it's Scripture. Because sometimes people get suspicious the moment you put the Bible verse on. But for example... You know, I sometimes like to talk with atheist friends about the kind of sort of deep longings that every human being seems to have for, for meaning and purpose. And I sometimes like to say things like, you know, you know, as one ancient writer said, you know, uh, eternity has been set within the hearts of men. Now, that's a quote out of the Old Testament. I put the Bible verse on the end of there. People are going, oh, it's scripture. I don't believe scripture. You say an ancient writer said, and people are, oh, that's really interesting, without realizing it's scripture. The power of Scripture doesn't lie in putting the, the chapter and verse reference on the end of it. Scripture is active and powerful because of the Word of God. Second thing I'd say, find those parts of the Bible that, where you really want to push people to take seriously before you go to some of the other parts. What I mean by that is the Gospels is the place to start. So I always like to say to skeptical friends, look, there is phenomenally good historical reasons to take the Gospels seriously. So, you know, what I want to do is encourage my atheist friends to perhaps read the Gospel of Mark with an open mind. I'm slightly less concerned, at least at first, about getting them to accept the historicity of Noah's flood or something. I mean, it's a useful discussion. That has to come, but it's not my starting point. I want to start with Jesus, because the most powerful argument for the rest of the Scripture being true is Jesus considered it to be true. And I think the people who rose from the dead have remarkably high credibility. So be willing to hold lightly to some things. Don't feel you have to argue every point. Make sure you're consistently pulling them back to Jesus and, you know, sowing into your conversations the reasons why we should take the gospel seriously. And I give some good reasons why in the last chapter of my book. That's Dr. Andy Bannister. One of his books is The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. And it's so, so wise. Go ahead. That's a funny title. <laughs> yeah, it grabs you, makes you want to read it and figure yeah. out what he's talking about. But I love the wisdom of, you know, pointing people to Jesus first because there's such incredible evidence mm-hmm. surrounding the Jesus story. For example, Mark's gospel, let's just take Mark's gospel. It was written, some say as early as 40 AD. Now that would be really early, you know, because the resurrection happened in 33. Some who date it later would say a little before the destruction of Jerusalem around 70, maybe even 75 AD. But at any rate, even if it was 75 AD, there were people still alive when the gospel was written down by Mark and they could have said, this stuff didn't happen. Mm -hmm. These miracles of Jesus didn't happen. For example, Jesus' first miracle in Mark was in Capernaum. It was the Sabbath, and so there was worship in the synagogue. And in that worship service was a man possessed by an evil spirit. Jesus said, shut up, come out of him. The spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a scream. That's not something anyone likely would ever forget. Mm -hmm. And there are many miracles like that in Mark. And the amazing thing is that no one from that period in history said, these miracles never happened. The rabbis at that time and shortly after agreed that Jesus did miracles. They just said he did them by Satan's power. So 
that's just one example of why th- there's such great evidence in the Gospels for the reality of the story, because you would have had people who could have contradicted yeah. it. There, there clearly would have been people who were there, who were present and said, listen, mm. I, you know, I read the story. I read the account. I was there. It didn't go down like that. This mm-hmm. is how it went down. Mm-hmm. And that just really, I don't know about you, but it just really bolsters my faith that, you know, these things really, really did happen. Like in Mormonism, for example, you know, there are claims about wars that happened in North America and such, and there's, there's absolutely no archaeological evidence for those. You know, I'm not throwing shade on Mormons. I'm just saying there's no evidence that these things happened mm-hmm. that are claimed in the Book of Mormon. And then, you know, his point about Jesus believing that all of Scripture was true. At that time, it was just the Hebrew Scriptures. And so if Jesus really did rise from the dead, that's a compelling reason to believe that all of Scripture is true. And, and we have such great evidence that he rose, you know, all New Testament scholars, 99%, and they're, most of them aren't Bible believing, but they, they believe at least four things about the events surrounding the resurrection that, that Jesus really did die, that the tomb was found to be empty, that people claim to have seen him Mm -hmm. and those who claim to have seen him, their lives were transformed. Now these facts don't, prove the resurrection but they do certainly point towards you know the most likely thing is that he did rise right right and that you know we've had we had a fascinating conversation with jay warner wallace on this he is the most sought after cold case detective in the world you know and Mm -hmm. he'll tell you (laughs) he's good at what he does yes and he went after the gospels to disprove the eyewitness testimonies using his skill set today you know, all the knowledge and wisdom he has and experience he has today of being able to spot, you know, when, when a, a testimony is not true. He went after the Gospels and he be, he gave his life to Jesus Yeah, because he said, I'll tell you what. He said, I can't tell you that these events happened, but as a cold case detective who is trained and good at, you know, finding the lies and finding the discrepancies, he says, the people who wrote this book I am 100% convinced that they 100% believed what they were saying. Yeah, that is so good. And if you want to look into this more, check out Jay Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. Thanks so much for listening. Questions or comments? Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.